Thursday, November 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Meager. Happy Thursday, guys. Happy Thursday. Thursday. We, we all survived Halloween. It was tough, though. Walking around my neighborhood, I kept almost tripping over children. It was crazy. <laughs> they were everywhere. Think, think of what it must have been like for them. You know, <laughs> I'm kind of... A little standoffish on Halloween now. I had been very pro Halloween when you were a kid getting, getting candy. Kids, yeah, though. but now that I think about it, it just seems a little odd to me. We're basically just telling our kids it's okay to go knock on random people's homes and demand something, which, by the way, is really unhealthy, and just you know expect nothing in return. Like people would bang on the door and they're like, "Hold out a bag," and I'm like, "You're not even going to ask for it." <laughs> I had a couple anyway, of those last night. One day out of the year, was, though. Come on. There was no trick I love or treat. children. I love candy. Oh, well, why don't we actually talk about stocks? Um, nah. We've got Visa's earnings. We've got uh, a couple of automakers in the news, and that's where we're going to start. General Motors' third quarter profits came in more than 50% higher than analysts were expecting. Joe Mager. Boom. I <laughs> can't wipe the smile off your face, but what, yeah. what happened that they crushed it that well? Well, when you're trading at a high single-digit PE multiple, very little has to go right for your stock to respond well. And in this case, expectations were so low because GM Europe has been doing terribly. I don't really see that part changing anytime soon, but they did announce some changes structurally with costs that they want to achieve. And basically... You know, streamlining by letting a lot of people go, improving manufacturing and marketing and merchandising over there. And they all sound smart. I'm still skeptical they're going to make that work. But, you know, let's talk about the good things. So North America is still doing very well. You know, we've been talking about this on the show for a long time, but there's a lot of pent-up demand for vehicles here in the U.S. And that's starting to play out. And to GM's credit, they've been disciplined on not uh, offering as many discounts as they have in the past. And, you know, when you put that together... <clears throat> With the work that they've done on chipping away at the pension, uh, the shortfall they have on their retirement obligations, I think that's going well. And, you know, just stepping out a little further, it doesn't matter who wins the election. I think GM is probably going to be fully public again in the not-so-distant future. Um, the president doesn't have much incentive to keep hanging on to the shares after he wins. And with with Romney, if he were to win, would have no incentive. And has said he would exit, too. So for GM shareholders, that's a win, and it's a chance for GM to buy back a lot of shares because they just have tons of cash. What has to happen in Europe to make you personally feel like, okay, they, they've really got a hold on what's going on there? Is there a particular um, country you're watching? Is there a particular number? Or is it just once you just start seeing... Um, profits return, then that's going to be it. Well, GM hasn't turned an operating profit on an annual basis in Europe in a decade, which makes me pretty <laughs> skeptical that they're going to pull a rabbit out of that. You're not holding work. your breath. Yeah, I would like to see them get as disengaged from Europe as possible in terms of manufacturing. So maybe keep some brands there, but keep doing partnerships, joint ventures, and just keep trying to get away from there and focus on where they are making money, which is in the U.S. and in China, where they have a leading position. All right, we're going to get back to GM in a second. But this morning, Ford Motor held a conference call with two people on it, Chairman Bill Ford and CEO Alan Mulally. And Jason, I saw this news on Twitter right before I went out for a run this morning, and I thought to myself, oh, Mulally, they're, they're going to announce that Mulally is stepping down. This is We've talked about this before. I got back from my run and was surprised to see that Alan Mulally not only is not stepping down, he's staying on through 2014. First and foremost, were you surprised? 
I was a little surprised. I mean, we you know we've been talking about it for a while now, thinking that Mullally was going to be stepping down and it was going to be sometime relatively soon uh, to see that he was committing to staying on and and through 2014. That's really substantial because that's that's you know two plus years here where he's going to really still be in there he's making all the decisions. With, yeah, it's 67. I mean, we're getting old. Mr. Burns like here pulling out. Uh, <laughs> Pull, pulling out of the company to write about it at, at 70 years old, which is which is good. I mean, he's a young 67, I'll say. I mean, having having spoken with him before, he, he certainly doesn't strike me as being 67. But, um, you know, yeah, it was a big surprise. I think Joe made a good point there earlier about GM and, and automakers in general performing really well in North America and the U.S. Uh, they are selling their cars for more, and they're paying less to make them. So they're, they're living the dream there. But the trouble still remains in Europe in a big way, not only for Gia, but Ford as well. And, and so I really think that a big part of this decision was based on what's going on in Europe. And really, I think Mullally is the guy at the company with the stones to really be able to wrap up what's going on there. Because it's going to come down to closing facilities. It's going to come down to eliminating jobs and to pass that off to someone, even if it's even if it's Bill Fields at this point in the game. Um, I, I don't know that it would necessarily be the the right decision to make. So so Mulally is going to, I think, you know, get in there, wrap this up. And then, you know, by, by about mid-decade, which is the target to really straighten out the European operations, I think he'll feel a little, bit, a little better about stepping down. Do you think part of it was on some level people at Ford, whether it was Bill Ford, the chairman, whether it was Mullally himself or, or, you know, maybe other people on the board, on some level, they felt like we don't really have a great replacement. We, we, we could replace him, but we don't feel like, because his tenure at Ford has been awesome, pretty exceptional, it's, yeah. and he's going to be a tough act to follow. And I don't envy anyone who steps in after him. So do you think uh, maybe on some level Bill Ford sort of pulled him aside and said, look, man, we just we just need you to hang on for a couple more years? I, I mean, that's possible that he was sort of encouraged to do that, but I think he probably played an equal part in that decision-making. And, and I mistakenly referred to Mark Fields earlier as Bill Fields. I'm sorry, that's Mark Fields. And I think that... With Mark Fields being moved up to the COO position, I think really this was a a more uh, a legitimate way to sort of establish the succession plan, so to speak, because going from COO to CEO is very credible and it's sensible in a lot of cases. You remember not not too terribly long ago, Don Thompson took over the the new CEO position at McDonald's, and he served a, a long time there as COO as well. So they know a lot about the company and how the company runs. I think this is going to be a great opportunity for Mark Fields to get a chance to really play a part in the COO role and, and develop into a good CEO, uh, hopefully a great CEO, because ultimately that's what Ford and these American car makers are really going to need is a great CEO to be able to lead these guys forward. Joe, what do you think? And by the same token, were you surprised when you saw that Malali was sticking on for two more years? Yes. And I thought it was kind of a silly way to communicate it, but sidestepping that. Why is, it, why is that? Well, you need to call a press conference and hold a call to announce that someone, the existing CEO, is staying. That just <laughs> seems a little superfluous. Like you, That's the kind of thing you throw in the quarterly earnings or you mention on a call. I, it just seemed a little grand to have a call around it. But LeBron James. Anyway, <laughs> when I was ragging about his age, you know, 69 isn't young to be running a company, but, you know, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have both been doing exceptional work at Berkshire Hathaway for many years, and they're now well into their 80s. So 
That's to say, he can keep rocking it so long as he wants to. I want to get to the October sales numbers for a second because along with the news that Malali was staying on for two more years came the October sales figures. And uh, GM's up 5%. uh, Chrysler, I think, was up 10%. I was surprised by Ford, Jason. I, I want to get your take on this. The estimate for Ford for the month of October was sales were going to increase about 3.5%. They came in at 0.4%, so a miss of just over 3%, and it was chalked up to Hurricane Sandy. Now, well, well, I mean, on the one hand, uh, you know, if you do the math and if you if you look at it and say, okay, look, here's here's this very significant weather event that uh, if you take into account people preparing for it, you're looking at five days. Five, you back it up, the last five days of October where people are saying, I'm not going to go buy a new car over the weekend. I'm going to prepare for this incoming storm. There was a lot of uncertainty leading up to the storm, where it was going to hit, all that sort of thing. All of that said, that seems like an enormous percentage miss, 3%, just to chalk up to five days' worth of sales in one region of the United States. Or am I off on that? I saw no, a guy, you, I don't think you're I, off I saw a guy on CNBC this morning who said, you know what, this actually isn't that big a miss. If they were to drop 10%, that would be a huge miss. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't like chalking something like that up to, to Sandy. I mean, that you're right. That is a very small window to really account for that big of a difference. Uh, you know, that said, I mean, Ford did really knock it out of the park in October with small car sales, and you know, typically we've seen these automakers selling a lot in the ways of pickups and SUVs, and so for Ford to get in there and really start making a lot of of, of small car sales, you know, they have genuine competition on that small car side with GM, GM, and Chevy in particular has been focusing really hard on those small cars. And so there's a lot more competition out there, a lot more options, many more options out there for consumers to choose from. And and when we have these auto companies, they're starting to sort of take back that discounting and charge more full price. Consumers have to give it a lot more consideration. And so it doesn't look quite the same no-brainer as possibly it did before. So so I I would attribute... not everything to Sandy. I think <laughs> yeah. probably very little to Sandy, as a matter of fact. And I think you just chalk it up to, ge- to just genuinely more more options out there. Yeah, I mean, in fairness to Ford, it's a tough, you know, weather plays a huge factor in car sales. Mm-hmm. So that is, that in isolation is true. And towards the end of the month is a time where a lot of dealers are feeling pressure to get inventory and sales out the door, including the salesmen who work there. Yep. So I could see how bad weather in a couple major markets would chip away. But I just don't like the wordy hearing excuses about this. Uh, just to wrap up on these two spot, uh, stocks, respectively, uh, Joe, when you look at shares of GM, given the quarter that they just had, given the, the, the pop that the, uh, the stock had, I think it was up up around 9% on Wednesday. Um, what do you think of the valuation of GM? I think both GM and Ford are really cheap, and I'd be happy to hold them both. Uh, I own GM and I own the warrants, so I'm I'm extremely long GM, uh, but it, you know it definitely hasn't played out like I expected, and it's been a slower moving thesis than I thought. But I still like it. Jason, what do you think of Ford? I guess I, you know I've 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 been very critical of these of these car makers for a while now. I think they face just perpetual headwinds, and I'm not sure that I'd really put them high on my list. But but I do think that Ford is is doing well in in keeping. You know, their models fresh, new products coming out there. The stock is very cheap. Both GM and Ford are very cheap. And I think that if you can really, you know, buy this stock and tuck it away for a while, understanding you're probably hanging on to it for five plus years, it's worth a, a position of the portfolio, I'd say. Shares of Visa up this morning after quarterly earnings came in higher than expected. 
Joe, this, this is one of yours uh, yeah. over at Inside Value. Uh, what, what are they doing right over at Visa? Well, there was a sign that it might be a good quarter when they announced a 50% dividend increase last week. So that's always a good precursor <laughs> to earnings. Uh, you know, they're doing, they're doing a You're lot of things You're saying a little well. bit of foreshadowing going on there? Yeah, I'd say so. They're doing a lot of things well, and in a lot of ways, they're benefiting from the work they've done in the past. So establishing a strong global brand, promoting it well, setting up a network all benefiting from a first mover advantage in plastic and fairness. But I think where you're really seeing all the hot growth is in emerging markets. And when you look at payment volumes in the Europe, in this unit that they kind of lump a lot of countries together, but it's like Central and Eastern Europe plus Africa and Asia. So, you know, <laughs> really? all those guys. They're, uh, they're putting all of those places in one category? Yeah. Uh, when you put those guys together, they had volume growth of about 35% on payments, which is really, really impressive and obviously much higher than what we're seeing here in the U.S. But I think that really speaks to, one, the benefit of having a global brand like Visa and a global network, but two, just how hard they've been pushing in setting up shop in those emerging economies. So, I mean, literally setting up shop, you know, connecting with merchants and connecting with advertising to consumers and you know, you see 35% volume growth. That's pretty heady. And I think you're going to see that kind of traction for a long time to come. Just having lived in a couple of those emerging economies, I cannot stress enough how much opportunity there is for these payment services like Visa and MasterCard. But because for so long, I mean, cash has been really king over there in, in many of the facilities and places like Cairo and in Astana, Kazakhstan, where we lived, just didn't have the capability really to, to, to use these electronic payments. So there really is a genuine opportunity. I mean, I know emerging markets can, can be thrown around a lot as, as a, you know, an opportunity. But I think in this case, particularly, it, it really is an opportunity because so many places over there are just making the leap into this, this uh, you know, this century of, of, of electronic payments. Uh, Visa also announced a $1.5 billion share buyback program. What do you think of that? Do, 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 they, do they have a good track record? Because it's, it's, I think it's worth pointing out that right now, shares are trading just within a, a, a hair of an all-time high. So yeah. this might be kind of an expensive time to be buying back well, shares. Well, in fairness, they've only been public for a couple of years now. But I agree, this isn't the best time to be buying back shares. But you know, that said, I trust that these guys are smartly... So long as they're expanding into emerging markets well and keep promoting the brand aggressively on a global level, which they are, and they're boosting the payback, then I can handle that. I think the shares are around fairly valued, so buying back stock is pretty neutral, but I'd rather have that than you know some stupid acquisition. Joe Saunders, the CEO, yesterday was his last day as CEO. He's going to remain as chairman through the end of March. The new CEO, uh, former J.P. Morgan executive Charles Scarf, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, C-H-S-C-H-A-R-F. Uh, what do we know about this guy, and, and uh, what do you think of his prospects as CEO? I was a little surprised that they didn't bring in an in-house guy, but he works, you know, he's been a lieutenant under Jamie Dimon, who I have a lot of respect for. Great hair. Great hair. Um <laughs> He's also been on Visa's board in the past, so he's definitely not a stranger to the business. And he also heads up the unit that at J.P. Morgan that is Visa's single biggest client. So in that sense, he definitely gets the customer's perspective. So, you know, I'm a little surprised they went, you know, kind of out of the house to get someone. But if they were going to get someone, I think he's a smart choice. And, you know, Visa is the kind of business where not to say management doesn't matter, 
management always matters, but it is a, you know, if we're using like a jockey racehorse analogy, Visa's secretariat, and you could throw a lot of different jockeys on top of that horse and they'll still win. <laughs> Joe Mager, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Oh,